um, our series on the book of James and focusing in on chapter one solely. And uh, with that, I want to turn our attention to verses 21 through 25. Let me begin this teaching tonight by reading from the book of James as he pens in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, in light of the nature of temptation and the goodness of God, we are to lay aside all impurity, putting them far away from us. We are, as born-again Christians, to produce the righteousness that God Desire. So James would write, looking back at verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So I want to break this verse down into three different parts. And I want to first turn our attention towards the proper pressure, uh, preparation, excuse me, the proper preparation, which is involved in producing the righteousness that God desires. See, we cannot produce the righteousness that God desires without putting away all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Proper preparation involved when we think about um, confessing our sins and asking God to forgive us also means that there's a place for repentance, that we are to break all agreement with sin. Now we find a similar sequence of ideas written in the letter from Peter, for he would, he would write in chapter 1, verse 23, and then going into verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, verse one, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now in both passages, new birth through the word of God is followed by the command to get rid of evil behavior. And instead, we ought to embrace the word of God. Now, what the, the two passages suggest by Peter and also by James may each independently, of course, be appropriating a familiar teaching from the early church. And this teaching was understood that the spiritual birth God has graciously given his people must be followed by an exhortation to shun the kind of behavior associated with the old life when you were dead to sin and instead begin living by the standard of the word that has saved us, the people of God. Now, some, wordy, some word study shows 
the phrase rid yourselves of translates a Greek verb that means to take off. The phrase carries the idea of a believer removing a pre-Christian lifestyle by using the metaphor of removing clothes. Now, New Testament authors would use this metaphor and when they would use this imagery of putting off to refer to sin, they often completed this metaphor by calling on believers to put on a new set of clothes or a new suit of clothes. And this new clothing that we are to put on is the righteous living to which Christ calls us. And church, we have to get this. There is a practical necessity of eliminating everything that is contrary to the word of God. Now, Paul too commanded as a spiritual discipline, ridding oneself of everything that is displeasing to God and destructive to the Christian faith. He would write, or perhaps he would, the author of Hebrews would write in chapter 12, verse one, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So take off, discard like a garment, moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And James would use the word that we translate as filth. And it's, it's a word that he chose to use to remind us just how offensive and detestable sin really is to God. He would say evil that is so prevalent. It was a warning that putting off sin involves a fight against a foe that takes many different forms, like an army with many soldiers. Sin attacks us persistently and in many different forms. So the standard of living, which we find in the scriptures, is one that God has given us birth through his word. Therefore, it is imperative that we get rid of all evil. And in place of evil, it is the word of God that we must now accept and crave. Then there's this required attitude that James talks about when he says, humbly accept the word planted in you. Now notice the contrast from verse 20. Humility is the opposite of anger. When we humbly accept the word, we accept it, we do not argue with it, and we honor it as the very word of God. We do not attempt to twist it to conform to our thinking. See, the focus of the word's work is on changing the Christian rather than changing the circumstances of the trial. He would say humbly accept. It means not only to believe teachably, but to act upon that word. You know, a great example that James used in the earlier parts of chapter one, you know, it requires a humble teachability to consider it pure joy when one meets trials because we know from God's word that the trials will be used by God as tests to develop perseverance. Now throughout James' writing, he would use fascinating contrast. And we find that here, get rid of is in contrast to humbly accept. 
getting rid of Christians who have truly been born again after getting rid of demonstrate that the word has transformed them by their humble acceptance of that word as their authority and as their guide for life. The evil around you is in contrast to the word planted in you to escape the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent around us, we must humbly accept the word planted in us. You know, he that is, he that is in the world, excuse me, he that is in us, it is, is greater than he that is in the world. You know, it's amazing how the purity of God's word can preserve us even in an impure time. It reminds me what the psalmist would write. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to the word. And he would go on and say, which can save you? See, there is an expected result. And there's two parts of this which can save you. The word can save us from moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. But then the word Jesus as John would talk about in his first chapter, the word Jesus has brought or brings salvation to us. And so in line with Jesus bringing salvation, there's the ability to save our souls. And this is James, James' third description of the objective at which the new birth is aimed. One, it brings about our, uh, um, what James would write in verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits. The objective at which the new birth is aimed of being holy and specially for the Lord. And then the second was that we are the righteousness of God, which brings the realization seen in our conduct of the righteous life for which he has purposed and now the salvation of our souls. This provides us with a pattern for that, um, for which total salvation is meant to accomplish. A salvation that can be um, uh, spoken of as the past because the work of salvation was completed when Jesus died on the cross for us, is also can be spoken of as the future because the full experience of salvation will not be ours until we see Jesus come again, which he is church, but it is also present in that day by day, we can experience a greater and greater measure of what Jesus has done for us. And one of these things that Jesus has done for us is he has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And to which Jesus would say this, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, the idea is that we have access to God's word and especially that we have new hearts. We have been born again and we are moved by the spirit to enable us to obey the word, which brings me into verses 22 through 25, 
where James would say, don't merely listen to the word and so you deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here's three evidences that you have humbly accepted the word planted in you. First of all, an evidence of application. See, receiving the word of God means more than simply hearing it. We accept the word by Doing it, For it is not the hearing, but the doing that brings about the blessing. Now, as mature believers, we deceive ourselves when we think it to be sufficient to merely hear the word of God and then fail to do what we heard. For hearing without obeying indicates self-delusion. James would say, so deceive yourselves. You know, Jesus used this same point to conclude his great sermon on the mount. And perhaps you've heard this infamous passage of scripture before, but Jesus would say, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. I want to make mention of a couple um, quotes. One's from James, James Moffat. He would say this, a teacher or preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel or explain ably some Old Testament prophecy about Christ. But when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. And if these hearers, if they content themselves with the sentimental admiration or with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion. Spurgeon would also say, I fear we have many such in all congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, attached hearers, but all the while unblessed hearers because they are not doers of the word. There needs to be an application. Secondly, there needs to be an examination. See, James shows us the improper use of the word of God in verses 23 and 24, but he also shows us the proper use of God in verse 25. James uses a mirror as an illustration to explain to us how we should use the Bible. We shall see what James means by this warning against self-deception if we set out side by side the key verbs in the illustration of the man with the mirror in verses 23 through 24 and, and in what he is intended to illustrate with the believer in the word. So let's set these side by side for a moment. We have the man in the mirror who looks and then we have the believer in the Bible who looks intently. We have the man in the mirror who goes away and then we have the believer with the word who continues in it. 
And lastly, we have the man in the mirror who forgets, and we have the man with the Bible who does not forget, but does it. And so first, what we compare side by side is each looks. For in the mirror, we see ourselves for how we truly are. And as we look into the mirror of God's word, we also see ourselves as we truly are. Now, there are two different words used in the Greek translated look in the NIV. It's why verse 25, it says looks intently. Both look, one looks, one looks intently. Now, the man with the mirror, better understanding of this, looks as in he considers attentively what he looks like. He observes. But the believer with the word looks intently, which the Greek word was often used metaphorically to, to look carefully into, to inspect curiously, often used regarding one who would, who would become acquainted with something. And I think this speaks to how our relationship with God ought to be. For the believer with the word desires strongly to become acquainted with it. Now, I must and we must as believers view what the word of God says to do what the word of God says. We must look intently to examine, to study for the purpose of applying it to our life. For there's a danger that arises when we fail to look into the word of God. And I want to pose this danger with the question, who sets your standards if not the word of God? Who sets your standards for how you talk? Who sets your standards for how you treat those who are in authority? Who sets your standards for what you'll watch or not watch? For how you'll do relationship with the opposite gender? Who sets your standards for what you will or will not listen to? For what you'll drink or not drink? For what is right and for what is wrong? Now for the believer, the Bible has to be the source of our standards. We cannot look to the world for how to live and then expect God to bless what isn't his. For I have learned he knows better than we do. Now, despite what many may perhaps argue, his standards are not meant to withhold good from us. The Bible very clearly states in Psalm 84, 1, that he does not withhold good from those who love him. So listen, living out the standards we see in God's word is more something God wants for you than it is something God wants from you. It's not that it doesn't require stuff from us. Yes, there's a, there's a part that it does require things from us, but it is more something God wants for us than it is something God wants from us. It's not living up to a standard. It is living out of a standard. And as it is, these are our standards. I will not apologize for them and I will not be ashamed of them. For I have found when we start living according to God's standards. We realize how much God really does love us and how much God is for us. James would say, whoever looks intently into the perfect law. I love the understanding of the word choice, perfect law. For the law of God is perfect. First, it perfectly expresses God's nature. And secondly, it perfectly matches ours as born again believers. 
It's in his commandments. The Lord has taken what is true about himself and he has expressed that truth in a rule for us to obey in a commandment for us to obey. See, God's law matches our human nature for we are created in the image of God. It's why when we look into the word of God as and we look at it like a mirror, it reveals to us where we are not reflecting his nature. For we live the truly human life as God intended when we express his likeness in our conduct. See, all the commandments of God in his word, whether expressed as precepts or expressed in a principle or by example, it brings out what we truly are and it expresses our true nature as born again children of God when we obey it. And it's a perfect law that gives freedom. Many wrestle to view God's standards as giving freedom. How often we misunderstand God's standards to be unfair, to be restricting, or, or perhaps we would, we would even use the word, it feels as if we are imprisoned. But let's take the example at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. The Lord is speaking in Exodus chapter 20 to those who he has brought up out of Egypt. And we see then that the Lord gives his law, not as a mean of salvation, but as a lifestyle for those who have already been saved, for the people of God. It gives the way he wants his people to live. For he's speaking to those whom he has brought out of bondage, those who he has brought out of slavery, not to those who he is bringing into bondage by, by imposing his law upon them or his commands upon them. He is speaking to those who are now for the first time enjoying liberty for they were previously enslaved and to whom he gives his perfect law and his commands in order to safeguard this freedom that he has now brought them into and he has secured for them. See, the law of God is the law of liberty because it safeguards and it expresses and it enables the life of true freedom into which Christ has brought us. And I love what our pastor says. He reminds us often that the thou shalt nots are actually God's way of saying, I love you. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I love you, so don't commit adultery. And as each looks, the man with the mirror and the believer with the word, it's what happens next that makes the difference. The man with the mirror looks at his face and then he goes away, but the believer with the word looks intently into the word and continues in it, which more literally, uh, this translation is we keep its company, continues in its company. It's a sort of companionship with the word of God that James encourages us when he speaks of the word. And guys, this can happen um, every day. This can happen any day. And I've discovered there is a continuing enjoyment of a relationship with God's word, but it is, it is the work of a lifetime. And then there's this transformation. 
It is only part of our fruitful use of the word of God to read it and to accept it. See, the man in the mirror forgets what he looks like. You know, I, I imagine myself hair without product in it, haven't shaved and, and probably even have a booger hanging out of my nose as I look into the mirror. But then I, I head out to work and forget what I looked like when I looked into the mirror looking like a bum and, and then I head to work and certainly it hinders my hope to be blessed in what I do that day for the mirror is it's not the comb the mirror is not the razor it's not the product that I would put in my my hair the mirror in itself is without value if if I don't do anything with what the mirror reveals and so the believer with the word continues in it not forgetting what has been revealed to him when he opened up the word of God but he does what he has just Read and what he has just heard. And James would say, they will be blessed in what they do. It is in connection with all this that James would give us a choice. We can either deceive ourselves, which is what we see him alluding to in verse 22, or we can bless ourselves, which is what James is alluding to in verse 25. You know, I could walk out and I say, oh, I look fine. No one will care. No one will notice and I deceive myself and I hinder the blessing of that particular day. This is the blessing that James speaks in verse 25, the blessing of a full life, the blessing of true humanity and obedience being the key factor in our enjoyment of it. For living out the word of God invites God's blessings. See, when the believer looks into the word of God pertaining to the mirror illustration, one sees where he is not measuring up to the word of God, but then continuing in it, not forgetting what he's read, but doing it, he is transformed by the spirit of God to share in the glory of God. See, the Greek word for change gives us our English word metamorphosis. It's a change that comes from the inside, like when an ugly caterpillar goes through metamorphosis and turns into a beautiful, a beautiful butterfly. As we meditate on the word, the spirit renews our mind and reveals the glory of God. It's what Paul would allude to in Romans chapter 12, verse two. He would say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This transformation is a process. It's the word of the Holy Spirit, the mirror of, of the word of God, brings about transformation and praise be to God that he loved us so much that he accepted us as we were. Yet while we were still sinners, the Bible says, but he also loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. He loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. So I conclude we need to look intently into the word. We need to examine it for the purpose of applying it to our life. And then listen to me, church. We need to do what the word of God says.